Welcome to the Film Maestro, where we talk all things film, movies, and scores, of course. And it's Tuesday at, well, 2.07, not 2 o'clock today. We're a little late today, <laughs> little late, but, uh, but we're getting uh, started. You know what that means? That means it's another week of my opinion about some movie and some movie soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And Jack's, too, a little bit. But uh, So, we have exciting information. Uh-oh. Thursday is the release of Doctor Strange. It's, uh, I would say, I've said this to AJ before, it's anticipated for me mainly because I'm just curious to see how far Marvel goes in setting up the multiverse. That's the primary thing that I'm looking forward to. So yesterday was the red carpet event. So the premiere's out, full spoilers online if you really Mm -hmm. want to find it, so be careful. Yeah, they're there. Pretty easy to find, too, if you just look up anything plot-related. I have been spoiled a little bit, unfortunately, um, by YouTube with some mm-hmm. nice images, of course. Have you been safe on the internet so far? I've been relatively safe. I've been staying off Twitter, uh, mainly because it's been a mess um, with people reacting to a lot of other things going on, so I've just kind of been tuning it out. But I've heard that um, people are just blatantly tweeting spoilers so it's it's a lot beforehand yeah and of course on reddit as you expect yeah reddit i would say you probably have the whole movie at that point somewhere (laughs) oh there is yeah i just didn't (laughs) click on it for like two or three days now but um man so it's directed by sam raimi yes which is is aj's favorite no other than Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. yes 2002 original director yeah Um, the director of the entire trilogy Uh, he also did oz great and powerful uh, he's, for he's, evil dead. he's mainly dead. He's mainly dead. He's mainly known for Evil Dead. Evil Dead. That's his yes. uh, claim to fame. And then Spider-Man really shot him up to mainstream. And he's done a couple things since, um, kind of small. But this is his first superhero outing since Spider-Man that's, Three. That's true. Yeah. yeah. This is basically his comeback. His chance for a comeback after Spider-Man Three. Yeah. After the mess, to put it lightly, of that movie. So. Yeah, it still has some yeah. good things in it. I will give it to him. It stands on its own, um, especially now. You know, it still has an identity, and I think for a finale for the trilogy, especially the final couple scenes, it's still really strong. Even though the ride of getting there is bumpy, but um, Raimi still is able to do a really good job, and he's good with um, more emotional sequences like that. But he has a solid base for his characters, so I'm hoping he can take what I guess the original Doctor Strange and what Infinity War and Endgame kind of added to Strange's character and, and build something unique from it. So one thing I'm very excited about is if they connect this with Loki at all. Mm. That's the big question. Yeah. And it was yesterday was Kevin Feige in an interview did talk about the spell in No Way Home and how Doctor Strange messed it up, of course. Right. And he mentioned the events of Loki. Being, I had a feeling they're going to be, they're going to have to be being connected. the reason why the spell was messed up. Is it technically that Loki takes place... The spell on Loki... I guess spoilers if you haven't seen Loki, which you should have at this point. Um, the finale of Loki, does that take place when the spell happens? Is that what this well, is alluding to? Well, it's not like confirmed, but... But that would make I sense based on what he said. I didn't see everything with the interview, but from what I was reading about, and I saw some of it, he just mentioned how the events of Loki directly impacted the, the spell and why it did fail. Huh. So... Okay. Because a lot of people complain that it felt very on Doctor Strange, like with the spell and how he messed it up, just like in the spite of the moment, 
and he's a you know he's a very smart guy and that wouldn't really happen yeah. so some people were like you see a scroll because you know they can do in, in, what's it, invasion a secret invasion secret invasion soon. yeah so there's a lot of speculation with that and we don't know true and um, I, that brings up a good point too about No Way Home I don't know if it's more of the writing or like you said a broader uh, plan but that setup for No Way Home was very I guess cheeky and how they went about it. It was very forced and very much like, we're going to have this exact situation happen perfectly so that Peter is put in a position where towards the end of the film he has to make a lot of choices about his future. Um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. I guess it's still relatively new. But, um, you know, it's like one of those things where I don't know if it's bad writing and they're compensating for it or this has been the plan from the beginning. It can't be. It can't be bad writing? It can't be. Why? Kevin Feige knows what he's doing. I know, but... There's no way. Still... There's a chance. At the very least, there's a chance where he gave the writers a, a path to follow, and they did, and at the same time, he recognizes that it would be a little convenient, to say the least, for the way that movie plays out for No Way Home um, if there wasn't a long-term plan for why that spill didn't work, because it feels very there's convenient. A, there's a long-term plan. Yeah. He even said, Kevin Feige, the other day at CinemaCon, where, they, uh, where Disney showed some future movies and some first footage from stuff, including Black Panther 2. I know they showed Avatar... And anything else? Oh, they showed the first 20 minutes of Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. They showed the first half an hour of Lightyear. Which the really? Movie, the movie's like probably an hour and a half. So like it was like they the whole thing. They showed the first third of Lightyear. Yeah. Oh and yeah, it was a really cool event. Lots of things happened. But um, he did say after CinemaCon, he was off to go plan the next 10 years of movies for Marvel. Yeah. I mean, that makes an abundance of sense. And I... I in a way, I really respect um, for what he's doing is with respect to him and the position he's in because it's unique and there's no other IP that has anything close to that. DC wants to get there. They're never going to right. at this point. Um, it's, it's, it's entirely Marvel. They have a decade of catch-up. <laughs> More than that. More than that. More than that. They don't have an yeah. established set yet. You know, like they're recasting all their all their key players for DC. So there's really, there's nothing close at all. The closest thing could have been Star Wars and they already uh, messed that up. So, so what we did get yesterday to avoid spoilers because I know no one wants spoilers, and I know you're crazy about that stuff but beforehand. With trailers, yeah. but have you been first thing first? Have you been keeping up with TV spots or no? Not at all. No, I've been. I watch the main trailers usually, and I don't watch the TV spots. Have you watched any? Like, what was the last one you saw? If any um, TV spots, I know they have individual names, right? Yeah, I hey, forget. It was one point, of them a couple days ago. What, what did you see with what anything interesting? Uh, nothing that stood out. Maybe okay. it was Dreams. Okay. If that, is that one? I don't know. Um, I forget, to be honest with you. I haven't really paid attention. I don't really love the TV spots. I feel like it's kind of a lot to throw at you quickly. I don't yeah. know. So um, there were people at the red carpet event yesterday that were not quite confirmed, but alluded to very much in the trailers. So oh. there's full confirmation that certain people are in this movie now, which is okay. interesting. Um, Do you know any of these people? Yeah. It's, I mean, there's like 90% chance from okay. you know, watching and looking at the stuff in the background that they would be in it. But yeah, so there's some of that stuff. But I'm still certain that there's big spoilers and cameos that they are, obviously are not showing us yet. But we did get first thoughts from social media which i like to look at because it's very general there's no spoilers and it's more about the director maybe a um 
an actor that stood out or just like the tone and you know what people thought first thoughts right and social media has said that it's very much a horror movie which really? is good so what people are saying and this is new york times screen radar screen rant and some other people have basically said that this is marvel fully accepting horror they're saying this is purely a horror film with the Marvel, um, I would say, like, with the humor still being part of it is what people are saying. Right. It's still the like traditional the, the traditional Marvel you expect, yeah. But we are going to get a full horror movie, finally. And apparently they said that it pushes the PG-13 limits. Okay. Okay. Um... That's, I guess, good to hear in a way. I don't know if that's exaggeration, though. Um, oh, I feel it, like, you, know, you know social media is. Yeah, I know. I feel like a lot of people said the same thing about Endgame, that it pushes the envelope, and I didn't really feel that. Um, but they could be entirely correct. I mean, Sam Raimi has, you know, Evil Dead is violent. He has that background. Um, and, you know, he's also known for being tongue-in-cheek when he wants to be. So I think he was, a, a the perfect fit for this story. I'm really glad they went to him and not... Um, I love Scott Derrickson. He did the first film, but he was more... And actually, interesting enough, Derrickson is actually a horror director, too. Um, and I wonder if there was a long-term plan with him. But I'm kind of glad they, they went to Raimi, and Raimi's able to work with Danny Elfman, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but I, the fact that it's, like, true horror, and that's what people are taking away from it is, is very interesting. And you know what the biggest complaint is? Which is no surprise. The biggest complaint? Yeah, you probably can guess it. I, I would. Is uh, it the CGI? No. Okay, I wasn't sure. I know a lot of people yeah. get me complaining from the trailers. It doesn't look great, but... I don't know, Which I, I disagree too. Yeah, there's like one scene. Um, they released the whole thing, and it's uh, the train, not the train, with the bus yeah. in New York City, it's and like he cuts he it in half, and there's this yeah. random squid monster. It looks a little much. Um, but you know what that means? They showed it to us. I mean, the first 15 minutes, most likely. Yeah, that, that seems like a setup. Scene. First, like five or 10 minutes. Probably. That seems like a setup scene. Uh, but what what is the biggest disappointment? Is it's. I'm hearing that the plot's a bit of a mess, and it's very, like, herky-jerky, uh, which doesn't surprise me. With no. the two-hour and six-minute runtime, that's exactly what I thought. Also, the amount of reshoots. Like, they were reshooting that for months after principal photography to begin with, so it seemed to me like Marvel was going in and trying to pinpoint exactly what worked but didn't work, and according to Sam Raimi in a couple of interviews, he said, I know, one, um, that he was basically relying for himself as well as Marvel was relying on test audience reactions for most things um, if not almost every single bit to see what you know what was positive what was negative and um, you know what was really working and as much as I like that philosophy of relying on what audiences think while you're building this story especially for Marvel's sake there's got to be a little bit of wiggle room for the creator to just experiment and oh, wait until it releases for so, that experiment to be tested. So Sam Raimi said he had full creative control. Do you believe that? Yeah. I don't. Because... How is that possible if you have Kevin Feige? Because you can say that it has to... You know, this has to happen in the movie. But you can do whatever you want to get that to that point. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I understand uh, that. I'm going to read to you one. Do you know this guy, Eric Davis? He uh, He's a critic for um, Fandango. Yes, I have this. read about him before. Yeah. He said his first reaction was by far the creepiest, most haunting and terrifying Marvel movie. Definitely brings the same Raimi horror vibes, and I love that about it. 
Danny Elfman's music is a perfect fit for the film's odd, mysterious tone, and Elizabeth Olsen is an MVP. Okay. That's good. Apparently, according to, um, I just saw this, it just posted a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, an interview with Rolling Stone, Sam Raimi admitted to never having finished watching WandaVision. Yeah. He said that he saw key scenes that he needed to to advance the plot of um, Doctor Strange 2. Huh. For, I, think I guess that makes sense. Like, if he was only shown her moments that were important, he doesn't need to see the rest of it. By far, my most anticipated thing about this movie is is Wanda. Is yeah, I want to see where they go with it. I, Cause her, I have an anticipation for what happens with her, okay. but I don't want to share that yet for fear that it might be spoilery. I mean... Uh, and this isn't based on I anything I've seen. This is just my gut reaction I, based on I, WandaVision's setup and this movie. In the first trailer, in the second tra- trailer that they have released, I think it's... Makes it obvious? I don't think it... It's pretty obvious what's going to happen, I think. Yeah. So, we just won't say it just for the sake of it, but like... I think I think we both know where they're going to go, and I think it's something we all want to see. Yeah, especially um, with the setup that she got in WandaVision. As much as that show didn't do everything superb i think they did a great job of setting up her arc in this um more nuanced middle ground way where it could go very much so you know all scarlet witch where she's purely evil or more of a balanced um with her family which is of course what the trailer does allude to um and what the end of wandavision basically sets up so it's um it's unique for sure that they have this plot line to take an experiment with i'm hoping that the news about Sam Raimi's creative control is true. I'd like to see this be his actual vision, but at the same time, I am nervous that Marvel did a little bit too much tinkering with, with what they had. No, no, I'm not concerned. Okay, from again, we'll like the, the the least reliable things you can read is what I'm reading right now because it's like when you take a you know you buy a movie at Best Buy and you look in the back, right, and you right. see the best movie ever and some random person, <laughs> right, because yeah. that's how it works. It's that's like just New York Times bestseller. It's like, yeah, this is on every book. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is what their job They, you know, you're, you're obviously, you're extremely hyped to go see this in the Hollywood premiere with everyone there, right? It's the, it's the experience, right? It's, yeah. It's very rare for someone to come out and say the movie sucks. After the premiere. It's very yeah. rare. It does happen, like, especially with the Sony movies. I've seen it. But, like, it doesn't happen too often. Yeah, and, really, and like, you're they, really, right, they, too. They're totally trashy, you know what I mean? Like, most of the time, it's like, oh, this is so great, it's so fun. Mm-hmm. You know, that's basically what everyone's saying, insane, is that it's it's horror, it's, you know, comic books, and it's Sam Raimi style. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to get that, and that's exciting. Yeah, and I'm glad for the madness that that's actually happening. That's pretty cool. And also, Danny Elfman's score releases tomorrow. Oh, if only it was today, we could break it down. <laughs> and people, I'm apparently you can take a, I, I should have thought of this, you can take a VPN and just switch your location and listen to it right now on Spotify. But <laughs> True, yeah, that's true. We'll try not to break the law for the sake of the podcast. but That's true, yeah. But yeah, I'm still excited though to hear it. And this is his first Marvel project besides no. Spider-Man. No. No? Age of Ultron. Oh, you're right. You're right, because he took over for uh, Alan Silvestri. And the fact that that doesn't stand out, I think it just goes to show that this has happened to him twice. He was brought in Age of Ultron after Alan Silvestri was kind of removed from Marvel, even though he was setting up a lot of the Marvel symphonic universe, which came back, of course, for the later Avengers films because they realized that they had lightning in a bottle. And not that Danny Elfman did a poor job with those movies. It was just with uh, Age of Ultron, rather, but it was just different. It didn't fit the vibe. And then that happened to him again, I think a year later, with Justice League, or two years later. It was 2017. And originally it was yeah. Zack Snyder 
and I believe Junkie XL, and they were both removed. Um, and Junkie XL kind of went with Zack Snyder once he was removed from the project, and Joss Whedon brought in Danny Elfman, and his, he did fine, but it was not. I think they had. I think he actually alluded to John Williams' score for Superman for a second. Film, for a second, which is cool, but it just doesn't fit the Justice League that Zack Snyder was doing. Let's so just, just say entirely that out of place. the score was so memorable that when the Snyder cut came out, there was a new composer. Yeah, <laughs> that's all we can say. Yeah, it was not great. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that this is his first time since Spider-Man, where he will actually have a a director who wanted him there from the beginning. Sam Raimi keeps on talking about, I'm so excited to work with Daniel. Right, and works with him really well yep. and has a great repertoire. And also just for him to be able to flex his muscles with a story as crazy as this, because as much as Spider-Man is awesome, it wasn't crazy. And Daniel Elfman gave us some awesome stuff. So I, I really want to see him go nuts I have read online too, though, that they don't use his music. As that's we, my as fear. Would like. That's my fear. It's, it's a def. It's very much a background thing from what, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, I know. Like, I sent you something like this past week. Daniel Elfman talking about this. This like what do you what do you call it? he called this like this musical madness section huh. where, where like he goes all out. Yeah, and maybe it'll be in one of the scenes. Maybe, maybe it'll be a standout track, but I don't think it's going to be like one of his best scores. As much as I want this to be really good, yeah. I'm sure like the main theme, like it'll be a main theme. I was like, oh, that's cool. But I think the 90% of it's going to be like, okay, it's just there. Yeah, which stinks because, yeah. you know, just looking right. at how the older, even like the some of the shows on Disney Plus right now for Marvel, they're mixing the music in very well compared to how they used to. And it's kind of been this whole arc that I would say started with um, more the serial... Um, ham-fisted nature of the more er earlier uh, superhero films, which kind of was renaissance by uh, Spider-Man. Even though Spider-Man did it very well, some of those, uh, both its predecessors for X-Men as well as its successors really didn't until the MCU came around with Iron Man. But once the MCU started, they never had a strict musical identity. They just bounced from film to film, composer to composer. Yep. And I, I talked about this before, and I know you like Henry Jackman's score for the Captain America films, this Winter Soldier and Civil War. But there's a scene in Winter Soldier, um, and you know about this, I believe it's Winter Soldier. And this he's is, walking this through, is my favorite movie, so be careful. I know. And he's walking through the museum, and he sees a little oh, boy, yeah. and he that's says hi to him. That's in Winter Soldier. Yeah, in Winter Soldier. the other week you said it was in Civil War. Right, it's, I, I got it flip-flopped. Yeah. Um, and I love the music that was written for that little scene. It's small, it's it short, Alan, something crazy. It was Alan Silvestri's theme. It was Alan Silvestri's theme, but Henry yeah. Jackman altered it a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. But what stinks about it is the way they cut the film is they had this pointless voiceover as if it was like the voice in the museum talking about um, talking about Captain America and, and Steve Rogers. But it was like, it's pointless and it's overshadowing the music. And there's a great um, video, I believe it's, uh, what, I think Every Frame of Painting. Uh, it's a defunct YouTube channel now they don't post anymore. But they had a whole piece about Marvel's failure with consistent music. And the Russo brothers saw that video and that was what convinced them to bring Alan Silvestri back for Infinity War. And it was because mm -hmm. and in that video, they highlighted that scene and said, there's good music here. They're just not cutting it in well. And sure enough, they finally learned their lesson. So I'm hoping that, that they're able to take that experience because Infinity War and Endgame had awesome music that you could actually hear. And the, I would say the Disney Plus shows pretty much across the board have had music that stands out to me in one way or another, especially Loki. Um, so Loki has been their best TV show. I, I think it's, yeah. it's kind of hard to argue that. 
It's for sure. And, and I've it's definitely gone back and forth in my head, but it is. I, the I best. know you didn't like WandaVision, but you have to applaud the, the different style that they took mm-hmm. and its unique style that, again, broke the, the curse of a Marvel show or a movie, mm-hmm. right? It's something unique. Yeah, and I loved the way WandaVision set up its first two episodes. I just hated the way it spoiled Personally, everything. Personally, when I watched WandaVision, the first thing that I said was, I wish, you know, like the formula of they're in a TV show, but they, they don't know that, right? Mm-hmm. So I wish that they kept it longer. Yeah, they got rid of it too quickly. I think they were afraid that the weirdness of it wouldn't keep and people... once, once it switched, it was like, oh, it, it felt very basic then, right? If it lost the edge that it had, because that first episode was unique there was no explanation for what was happening there was tiny hints that something was wrong and it was cool it was so cool i think the first one was was it like leave it to beaver style i forget what tv show they went i think it was leave it to beaver i could be wrong it's they were going based on the decade but um they were at like a dinner with like a couple and then the husband just like falls over and starts choking Mm -hmm. and he's like gonna die basically yeah and then like wanda just like lets it happen it was very unique. And it, like, snaps out of it. Right. She's, like, in a trance for a second. And then it's fine. And everything's fine. And it ends. And they're, like, uh, what, looking what off was, into space. And it was really cool. Remember the in the second? I think it was the second yeah, episode. Yeah, he comes out of the ground. And just, like, what is happening? That was awesome. And then the third episode's like, oh, yeah, he just walked underground to see if he could go through the invisible wall. A great like, reveal right. of, you know, zooming out. And we see that they're watching it. You're like, wow. Like, I yeah. can't believe this is happening. And then... It was just very. They explained the entire thing <sighs> later on. Yeah, it was annoying. But. I told I told my friends that I wish that the last episode ended with them zooming out and you saw the whole thing was fake. That's how I wanted it to end. Yeah, and you're just like, what? And then there's a the season two. Yeah, it would have okay been more that. satisfying to have all the mystery, I guess, taken from it as possible, which they didn't really do, unfortunately. But the idea was there. It was a great starting point for Disney Plus and their content with Marvel. And I'm excited. I'm still excited for Moon Knight now. Um, that's coming out tomorrow. That's the finale. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, this is an interesting you thing. Can talk about I don't because this, this is your show. <laughs> I don't watch it. So. <laughs> and I don't. I I have not seen episode five yet, so I'm I'm a week behind. But um, what's interesting is there were tweets, and I don't ever read into tweets half the time. I feel like it's just people messing up when they say the wrong word. There's Moon Knight's Twitter, and there's Marvel's Twitter. Moon Knight, I think no. Marvel released a tweet saying that it's the season finale. Moon Knight, the account, released a tweet saying it's the series finale. I think it's just a typo and one account messed up. But it's a debate about which one. Is it the end of the series or the end of the season? I'm pretty sure that they both have changed. Did they both, what did they both change to, do you know? Season finale. Okay. I'm pretty sure about that. I could be wrong, but fact check me but i think now it's pretty much confirmed that there's going to be a second season mm-hmm. we'll probably get it maybe an end credit in the episode tomorrow like you know moon knight will return that'd be cool what's the chance moon knight shows up on thursday or friday in doctor strange huh i haven't thought about that um there's a chance i guess but i'm curious what the universe is that he's in is it the same or is it oh. something different? I wonder if they're going to do that differently. You know, like for right. example, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be fine with accepting that Egyptian gods don't make any noise in the entire MCU until now. But I think it would make a little bit more sense if he's in this not alternate timeline that's so he's alternate, he's but that he's he in is. a different world. Yeah. Um, and that maybe, like you're saying, it 
comes together on uh, on Friday in Multiverse of Madness as possible. Very curious about the credit scenes too for mm-hmm. Doctor Strange. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and I I am curious because Moon Knight doesn't fit with Doctor Strange that I'm familiar with and that we're familiar with. It just feels very different in a good way. I'm just curious how they're going to mesh everything together. It'll be interesting. The last interesting thing is we're getting an Avatar 2 trailer exclusively before all showings of Doctor Strange this weekend. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like they're going to publicly release it, I think, the week afterwards. Okay. So it's going to be cool. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm excited I for it. I just want to see what it looks like, like the, the visuals. Yeah, and I like the original film. No, you don't. A lot. I like it. I don't love it, though. You like it? Yeah, I'll watch it if it's on. It's entertaining. No one has. I don't think anyone likes it. That's the thing. A lot of people hate it. I don't know why people hate it. I know the story is very unoriginal and it copies from some things, but it doesn't steal anything directly. And it's no more of a copy than, you know, Star Wars may be. Of a, a really big fan of Dune is going to look at Star Wars and be like, oh, they just copied. You know, it's all relative. Um, but the fact that the, like we were talking about this the other day, the fact that the visuals still hold up so well from being in 2009, you know, it's impressive. And I don't love it. Um, it has its problems. And I love James Horner's score. And I'm bummed that he is no longer, unfortunately, here to continue. But you know what he did do that's getting a, a, a two-disc release? is Jumanji. Really? I didn't realize he did that. Yeah, and two discs. it's releasing this week, this weekend, I think, next weekend. Okay. Yeah, All Out Records, once again, <laughs> announced wow. their, uh, their uh, new stuff, and that's on the, on the list. That's awesome. As well yeah. as, supposedly, we're getting five... John William projects this year. Really? Supposedly. Okay. I'm excited. Looking forward to it. And maybe he'll be on the prequels that we finally want. I hope so. I'll be, I, I do a thing, though. I think Disney it, will block it. It's going to be sad, though, because I, I think it's 20 years of Cinderella Liberty mm-hmm. and some other things. So if we're going to get those, which, I mean, I don't even know if those exist. So it's going to be kind of cool to get some of it. It would be uh, wild to think music, that though. they could find it after all this time. But yeah, I would love to see some. It. I'd love to see some Star Wars stuff. I don't know. Yeah, that's probably twenty years from Revenge of the Sith was two thousand five, so maybe twenty twenty five. That's fifteen, right? Is that fifteen? No, twenty because oh, two thousand five. Yeah, right. Scary. Fifteen was two thousand twenty, which already yeah. passed. Man, twenty so. years. Whew. Okay, so it's time to go on to our topic of choice today. Yes, but I think we play one track to begin before we move on to that. Okay. And I think you know what it is. I don't. Why do you tell yes, me? Yes, you do. We talked about... Well, all right. I'll set it up, then you'll get it. So we talked about Star Wars recently. Um, and just a couple of days ago on John Williams' um, his discography, we saw the release of a single. And it's, uh, it's Han Solo and Leia's love theme, right? Yeah, it's called Han Solo and the Princess. Right. It's directly from the um, the Tanglewood concert from last year. It's, oh, okay. it's on the Violin Concerto album that's coming out June 3rd. Okay. So a little bit. So they're slowly releasing singles. <clears throat> and they they now put out Han Solo and the Princess mm-hmm. from a few days ago. And it's interesting because this is not on any of the albums across the stars that they did. So, it's entirely uh, separate to just this, which is going to make this album highly anticipated for me because I'm just curious how much it's, more they have on it we already know what's on it I know but still they they have this on there apparently and they didn't talk about this before so we'll see what else is on there 
We already know it's on it. I know we know it's on it. Those could be surprises, though, right? No. No? No. It's You can pre-order it everywhere with the full track list. Oh, can you really? Well, it's, it's still... It's a concerto. The, I think it's four parts. Right. And then this, and then something from uh, Raiders. Okay. Still, though, there's a chance. You know him with encores. He could sneak something on there. I don't yeah. know. It's maybe, possible. Yes, maybe. It's possible. Maybe. Let me dream. Just just for you, maybe. <laughs> Let me dream. Actually, Adventures on Earth was just added, so. Oh, my gosh. I'm okay, going to cry. Let's, let's, let's. All right. Let's listen to this.
So, that is uh, Han Solo and the Princess. And I remember we were talking about this during the little break that we had while I was playing. That sounds so much better than the original, I think. Oh, for you? sure. I don't know where this this um, version came from. There's some talk about online I have to go read about. But I think he's been working on this new arrangement, but it's it's very, very good as an understatement. Yeah, and he did such a good job just through our orchestra. Um, obviously, it's, it's Anne-Sophie Mutter, right? She's um, back. She's back and <laughs> as awesome as ever. But just the orchestral work behind is very, very different than what Star Wars was in a good way. It's not super familiar. It's not just repeating what the original orchestration was. It's very different, but really, I think, more powerful than the original piece. Yeah. Um, I hope we get more of those because we always get just like new arrangements of his older stuff. But yeah, that's something I really want to see him do more of. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to bring back stump tracks this week. Yeah, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks. We haven't really had time during our shows. We've had a pretty packed schedule, but... I think I'll start yeah, I think you start first. He's always going to get me, too. <laughs> All right, leave the, leave the mics on as usual. Yep. And uh, we'll go from there. This is Marvel. Correct. Your biggest weakness. Because it's so easy, you need to give a lot of description. What scene, what's happening, what movie. So far, I don't have any ideas. I have Civil War or Infinity War in my head. Okay. I mean... Is it one of those two? It can only be so many because of what you're hearing right now. This is difficult. This part's tricky. Ooh. <laughs> that was intense. <laughs> I almost spoiled it. So easy. Does not fit anymore when Thanos shows up? Which time? Which is this during the part when... He's confronting the Guardians. Incorrect. There's still more, like a good two or three minutes left, so you have time. that scene at the end what scene before he snaps his fingers is this the lead up yeah is it really what's happened right now oh is this when he's in the um yeah I want to say the sunken place but it's not the sunken place it's when he sees his daughter and she asks him what did it cost he says everything no 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 that's completely wrong then what is it tell me I don't know sure so this is probably the biggest climax in the movie. This is where Scarlet Witch is talking with Vision and oh. she, Thanos is destroying the Avengers and she has to kill 
vision and take the stone, mm-hmm. the mind stone out of him so Thanos doesn't get it. Right. And they're talking to each other, and this is their last moment together before he dies. Okay. And this is the extended cut, which I love because it's the full version. It's the extended version. It's the two CD deluxe edition that they released huh. if any more. Because she has two hand ones destroying one side using her powers to destroy the mind stone and the other one is yeah. is stopping is trying to stop Thanos and it's working that's how yeah. powerful she is it's an amazing scene yeah. because we have we see you know she's a very emotional character she always has been she has so much going on in her life and you know she, the fact that she's able to one with one hand stop Thanos with five of the Infinity Stones mm-hmm. and he's like blocking it isn't crazy yeah she shows how powerful she is and that Marvel knows to use what she has in small bits but I love this I have goosebumps right now this is amazing this is my favorite scene and the fact we're going to see more of her character on Friday gets me so excited because you know they have said the Russo brothers have said that she would have killed Thanos easily in um, Endgame too yeah if if they didn't do the the, the, they called the strike on the battlefield right right Thanos says you know, shoot down even though it's going to kill all of us. Yeah. Right? If he didn't do that, he was gone. It is, I love. This is when it's about to break and then he goes back in time. He grabs it. He's like, you have no time at all. I have to rewatch this movie right now. for it it just broke his the, I want to relive that scene in a theater badly oh, it's really such badly a good movie it's really good oh. oh man I still remember because before this film came out I did not have much of an attachment to the MCU Infinity War did it for me it got me invested and it was probably because of that scene and I've listened to that track before, just the beginning part never really connected with me um, until that. I think it's the loss theme, I guess, because he actually right. brings it back later in Endgame um, and warps it a little bit and, and develops it more. But I really love... That scene in particular is great, and that's what I love about the potential that Marvel has is they can take those smaller characters and do that for them and put them in such a difficult position, and it works because just the nature of this universe just allows for each character to have their own moment where I don't know of any right. other story that really can have that same effect. So it's awesome. All right, it's time for my second track. Okay. All right, here we go. I'm pretty sure I did this track before. <laughs> sounds like Alan Silvestri too it's not I'm pretty sure I played this track <laughs> you still you get me good every time you still don't know <laughs> you get me good every time yeah I did this this part before 
couldn't tell you where it's from though. I asked you, <laughs> I asked you to see this live with me. Also, it was playing in, I think Hartford. I remember how much we talked about it seeing things live because it went all over the place for a while. Disappointing. All right, what is it? I'm not going to get it. Another year ends. From? Patrick Doyle. Oh, is this, uh, is this Order of the Phoenix? No. No? Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire. That's it. Another year ends. Huh. Very much oh, yeah. sounds like Alan Silvestri, though. <laughs> it has that style with the strings a little bit, but... Um, right there, that was your biggest clue. Yeah. It's like the, that's the Harry Potter theme a little bit in this one. Huh. I gotta listen to that score more. Also, I have to rewatch. The Harry Potter movies this summer. You mean because we watch Infinity War right now? <laughs> Stop the show. I know. Yeah, find two hours and forty-five minutes of time. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. All right, this is one from a movie I know you have not seen. Why do you do but, this? But it's on a certain album that I think you've listened to. I think that might give it away. Just keep listening. Avatar. No, but it's not a bad guess. Not a terrible guess, I guess, but. Can you guess the composer? Not his usual style at all. Oh. But I feel like, give it a few minutes and you know, or a little bit. First thought's probably Danny Elfman. I could see like Nightmare Before Christmas vibes a little bit. Mm. Or a choir. You should be surprised by who it is. Oh, it's John Williams. Yeah, see? Yeah. I was going to say, as soon as the instrumentals pick up, you're going to be like, okay, it's John Williams. You know how I know? Oh, it's the Olympics. It's not no, the Olympics. It's not. Why? It sounds so much like it. As soon as you said it's it's on an album you haven't listened to, but you probably listened to one of the <laughs> tracks. I'm like, wait, how's that possible? Oh, wait, one of John Williams' albums. Yes. What? What? What decade? 1990s. That's why I like it. I hope it's not... I hope it's not... It's not one of my favorite movies. So it's a sequel to my favorite movies. No, it's not. <laughs> I have no idea. What was, what was the sequel to your favorite movies? I want to say it. I was okay. looking like... Jurassic Park 2 or 3 somehow. No, but decent guess. So, it's called Dry Your Tears, Africa from Amistad, which is a little-known movie, but has a, the most yeah. stacked cast I think I've ever seen. Anyway, I've heard this um, 
I've heard this piece um, years ago, and I liked it. I never saw the movie, and I was like, I would like to try to find this again. I could never find it. And when you put me on this Ultimate Collection album, um, I came across it. I was like, oh, oh my gosh, that's the piece that I liked from years ago. And yeah, it's a lot of chorus, and it's, you know, it's, I guess, not an easy listen, but I like it a lot. Um, need to see the movie, though, because I don't know how it fits in the film. But anyway, okay, glad next I one. stumped you. All right. This one I'm going to know well, that you've fairness, seen. In all fairness, I did get John Williams. In all fairness, you get John Williams. So, like, I'm kind of half right. No, you're right. It's just which movie? And he's done so many. And that was during his time when he was um, when he was getting to that point where he was working at least two two films every year, which is nuts. Yeah. All right, I have a few in mind because I want to stump you, but I don't know if I can. Hmm. Let's see. I did that one already. <laughs> you can't do that again. So I did. Uh, all right. Um, hmm. Have you seen this movie? I don't think so. Would I know the composer? Mm-hmm. Then you can do it. Okay. nothing really specific yet. It wouldn't surprise me if it was the same composer. the same time as the previous one. Any guesses? <laughs> Is the last person's is his name is the last is his last name Williams yes but it's not John Williams no it's William it's John Williams oh it is yeah who else would it be Rupert Gregson no that's my guess no it was John, it's John Williams that, that was like remember I said that first I know was, was this John Williams yeah the piano theme I would know I haven't seen this full movie I've seen parts of it it's another lesser known film not lesser known but not who's the director do you know Steven Spielberg again. It's around that same time as Amistad, roughly. Give or take a few years. I don't know. <laughs> this is the reunion from AI. Artificial intelligence. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And this movie has a weird trajectory because it started as a passion project for Stanley Kubrick based on, I forget what the novel's name was, it wasn't AI. And he passed away, unfortunately, before uh, photography could start and Spielberg kind of picked up the reins. And 
from what I've heard, it's very decent. It doesn't stand out, I think, because of that. It's not really Spielberg's film. It's not really Kubrick's film. It's kind of a mix of both. Um, but I really like this piece from the end. It's from the finale, I'm pretty sure. Um, and I've seen the beginning, and I've seen the middle <laughs> different times. I haven't seen the ending. It was just a, uh extended release. Of AI? AI. I, I think this past it. year. I think I showed it to you. I think you did. Yeah, and you're like, eh. <laughs> yeah, and I... I had known this piece was on there, but I wasn't entirely sure um, yeah. that they actually had that also in the in the deluxe version. But yeah, I think it's a decent piece. It's one of the themes that Williams is not necessarily known for. Um, but yeah, I like it. It's kind of just sits there on my major uh, my major playlist for film scores. It doesn't really get played much, but I like it. Yeah. Well, I think it's time to uh, yeah finish up Lord of the Rings finally. Yeah. <laughs> After last week's Gandalf the White, mm-hmm. we now have to finish up yeah, a little debate. Two Towers as well as Return of the King and yeah. probably have a debate about something. So, Oh, I'm sure. So we have to start at Two Towers. My least favorite of the three, but that doesn't even really mean anything when they're still all great films. And I know that you have different opinions. <sighs> <laughs> I don't know. So, when you watch a film many, many times, like this one, Mm -hmm. and maybe your favorite movies, it's always like the side plots or something, a decision a character makes that kind of decides, like, is this one of my favorite movies? Mm -hmm. Right? That's at least how how I look at it. Yeah. And I don't think the... Frodo and Sam and Gollum side plot works. You don't think it works? I don't think it works on rewatches that well. It feels, it's always felt to me like the obstacle that I just have to get through to get to the stuff I like. That's this movie right. for me. But you see it. But not this completely. This is how the filmmaking works, of course. Yeah. Is that when you watch it, what, what are they on, of course? What are they on? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? What are, what, they, what are they doing? They're on... Well, they're hiking to Mordor. Right. Yeah. And when you hike, it takes a long, t- a lot of time, right? Yeah. And that's what it feels like when you watch yeah, it. Yeah, it feels like you're on the hike with them the whole right? time. And yeah. that's good. Yeah, no, they right? did, it's... That's, that, that's the problem. It's, like, it's almost too good it for its own love good. it at yeah. the same time. It's too good for its own good. Right? And that's like... It's... And it's... You can't cut it because everything that happens is so important. Like... The, the little character scenes and the de- development of all three of them. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's just not the most entertaining. And is it because it's not good or is it because of what what comes after? I think it's because of how it's set up fantastically in Fellowship and then in Return of the King, it's just blown out of the water by scene after scene of resolution that's satisfying. But you have to have this movie to exist to make it satisfying for the ending. But this movie didn't exist in the way that I know um, Miramax and Harvey Weinstein originally wanted it. They just wanted two. And this film would have this um, story, Two Towers, would have been combined with Return of the King, or split up between Fellowship and Return of the King a little more evenly to make it two movies. And Peter Jackson said, "No, you need this second film to make that jump, so that the third is satisfying." That's why it's because of this film. And this film has some san- fantastic moments, as we know. The entire battles of Battle of so Helm's Battle, Deep. Battle of Helm's Deep was the longest battle ever on screen. Is it actually? I believe so. Wow. I mean, I I believe it. And I also really love Rohan in this film. 
this is what this this yeah. is what saves the movie for me is that whole setup. If that didn't exist and it was just them hiking, this movie wouldn't work. And Rohan will answer. It's bum, so bum, 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 bum. That theme in and of itself is very cool. You know, so this movie is Gollum's movie, in yeah. my opinion. Right. Has one of my favorite scenes of him. Mm-hmm. It's when he's talking to himself right. and they're sleeping. Yeah. And apparently that scene was directed by Peter Jackson's wife. Really? Yeah. She took um, two apparently sleeping bags, dressed them up as Frodo and Sam, <laughs> put them in the corner of the room, and they don't move, and just had her, a camera crew, and Andy Circus, and they shot the sequence. And it's one of my favorites because it's so what Gollum is. It's his internal conflict just portrayed um, with some really cool reflections and just some cool use of shots, composition. And it sets up a lot of his motives for the rest of the story. Um, you know, and without uh, it, it would kind of be a little too all over the place for him. But this scene makes it work. The first time I watched the trilogy, after finishing Two Towers, I thought Gollum was going to turn. I thought he was going to redeem himself. Really? Which I guess my dad hates when I say this still. But he does kind of redeem himself in a way. He unintentionally redeems himself, basically. It's how I like to put it. Yeah, basically, I can see that. It doesn't, you know, he, he saves Middle-earth. Whether you want whether you want to say it or, or not, he does because if he doesn't do what he does, true. Frodo takes the ring, and he says it's mine now, and and the cycle continues. Yep, something had to happen. Yeah, Frodo was necessary, or um, Gollum was necessary, which makes him necessary all the more satisfying evil? to see. Maybe, maybe necessary evil. I don't know. Necessary evil for ultimate good, I guess. That, it's like the it's like the big debate is yeah. The, did Gollum save the day? He, his influence. Well, to be fair, without him, Frodo and Sam don't make it to Mordor either. So he's intentional for the whole story. But I think for the Deus Ex Machina moment at the end, which there's two. There's one, which we'll talk about later, Return of the King, obviously the scene sequence you're talking about. And then when the um, the eagles, I guess, the eagles show up to save the them. The eagles! Yeah. And it's a little, you know, last minute saving. But it works for me because they've already done so much. The story can have a little bit of that uplifting finale to it. Um, but yeah, I think without Gollum, the story doesn't work. And this film sets up his place as an integral part of the story, but also sets up his character in a really dynamic way. And do you know what the end credits song is? And it's a song, not a piece. No, not a fan. It's Gollum's song. Really? Yeah, it's not on the extended. It's only on the original release. I think it's on the extended. Long ways to go to go yet quote unquote Gollum song oh then yeah that's the complete recordings anyway mm-hmm. um, Emiliana Torini is one of the singers that um, Howard Shore worked with I would, uh, I, I want to play that like the first two minutes of it sure want to do that right now let's start with that yeah, yeah start with that
Taste of Gollum's song. Yeah. Very. What was the word you used? I don't remember exactly. Um, it's it's hauntingly beautiful. Yeah, and it's um it summarizes the second chapter really well because everyone ends in a place where they're really far apart from each other, um, in a way. In this, and um, though they already they come together at the end, especially Gandalf the White. And uh, and Rohan with um, yeah, and these, and these are so much better than like the Hobbit endings. Yeah, because they're all definitive. Like they're they're memorable in their own way. Uh-huh. Fellowship's memorable in how it ends, and even Two Towers being the middle film is very memorable in how it ends. Um, and obviously Return of the King. But yeah, you're right. The, the Hobbit films just don't compare um, in terms of being as memorable. Which I guess is just more the source material a little bit, but it's also the way they were made. It's not I'm pretty as, sure the second one ends with like, oh no, Smog the dragon escaped. They all go like. Oh, you like they look at their faces and then like it cuts. Yeah, it's like oh, it's very anticlimactic in a way. Even though it's trying to it's be very, punchy, very Hollywood, current Hollywood. It's the best way to put it. It doesn't have that grand feel. It feels very small for some reason. Not good. Yeah, but uh, I'm a fan of that, and I like you know as much as I think the Two Towers score for me doesn't stand out as well as the first two. It has a lot of fun, fun little moments. You mean the first, the first and the third? What did I say? You said. The second one is, doesn't stand out as much as the first two. Yes, I meant the first and third. Okay, yeah. Um, it kind of matches my enjoyment level with the movie. But like you said, it's entirely necessary. My biggest question for you, I want to see what you think about this. Okay. Every time I watch The Battle of Helm's Deep, they cut to, they cut to the trees. <laughs> they do cut to the trees. We have talked about this before. <laughs> I didn't don't, get to the trees I yet. don't know why. Yeah, and that's the one plot point that makes this movie a bit of a chore is, um, oh, what's their names? Pippin and... Uh, Mary and Pippin. Mary and Pippin? Are you, are you talking about Mar- the trees? No, Mary and Pippin with the trees. Okay, yeah. Once they get separated and they're on their own, it feels like a year before they're finally able to do something with the trees. And I understand that it's supposed to be this little it's, break from the it's, action. It's the same thing with the uh, with the journey, right? With right, it's they necessary. They talk slowly. But they talk slowly as a so joke. It's, a, it's supposed to be slow, but yeah, it's bad. It's a bad cut. I don't like it. I like it because it gives you that time to breathe because the battle's so long. But I think, and this is kind of where I know it takes away debate. tension. It takes away tension. But we've had this debate about whether or not the extended edition is is necessary for all three. I think that the first one is necessary. Not on first re- not on first watch. For two towers, I don't think it's necessary at all. It makes it longer, right? It makes it even longer. For Return of the King, I think regardless if it's your first watch or your fiftieth, you have to watch the extended. It it's cuts almost, out it's almost four points. Hour. It's almost four, four hours, hours. I think. I'm pretty sure it is four hours and change. Um, but uh, but yeah, nonetheless, I think you know it's um, it's a movie that has those moments in there. 
to set up later developments, even though the trees aren't really that important after the beginning of Return of the King. But I don't know. It's it's there's, fine. There's so many like, and it's fine as such a high caliber that it's still amazing. It's just a tiny step down from the other. There's two. so many like current themes you can take from these movies mm-hmm. and relate it to like any topic today. Oh yeah, like, easily. Think, right now, I'm just thinking They're about, I'm thinking about like, like the trees, like any environmental issue with yeah. like you know. Is that they're cutting down the trees, and then you have people fighting that, saying stop cutting down the trees, don't make weapons, and like right. all these things. There's a million things. Yeah, it's crazy. But, yeah, uh, and that's just one example. You know, there's there's themes about you know um, right. predatory behavior. There's themes about you know just abuse of power, and that's you know more standard, I guess, for all these fantasy movies. But they have that timeless nature to them that today they're not aged. You know, they don't feel older. They don't feel like they don't fit into today. They still have that timeless quality, which is awesome. Right. Yeah. Who's your favorite character from uh, any of them, I guess? That, yeah. Who's my favorite character? Um, I'm trying to think of fa- like a definitive favorite. I would say... I don't know. I don't know if I have a definitive favorite. What about you? Gollum, of course. Okay. I could, yeah. I like Gollum, but he wouldn't be a favorite of mine. I'd say it maybe would be Sam. I think Sam's journey's awesome, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, especially you, in the third film. You know the third one when... I'm going to say his name wrong. Aragorn? Aragorn? Aragorn. Aragorn yeah. gets his sword. Mm-hmm. I was talking to you about things I'm going to have in my house one day. Yeah. It's on the list. <laughs> I tried to get it on eBay. My mom said no. Yeah. But she says something it's about pricey, not though. having a real sword in the house. But Yeah. I can see that being a problem. It has, like, the cover, too. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, like, like wear it around yeah. the house. Like, Yeah, because that's what sort of sounds like. In my <laughs> bedroom, I guess, like, if someone tries to break in. That's a good question. Do you, do you understand how, like, big that sword is? Like, that thing's going to, like, go through, so, like, you're gonna, three people. If you're going to take it out, it's going to go through the ceiling. Yeah. Just so that you can hold it up. It's but a yeah. replica size. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I have that. I have my satellite awesome armor. Prop. Okay. And then... You'll be ready for battle then, easily. Yeah, that, yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else. Oh, I like talked about probably my... I'll have, have my replica Ahsoka lightsaber, so... Mm. Yeah. I'll get one day from Disney, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully one day. Even though I think it's... I forget the name of the website that makes them, but apparently the Disney ones aren't that good. Oh, what I've yeah. seen. Anyway. It's one of the creating your own whole yeah. thing. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Aragorn is my favorite character. Okay, oh, I could definitely see that. He's, he's up there for me. I really love. He's Sam, so likable, though. I know. Every character is likable, to be honest. There's no one that like you hate. Yeah, I mean, every main character. Yeah, I would say it's the the side. Do you know the the the, the girl that tries to hit keeps on trying to like hit on Aragorn? It's the daughter of the King of Rohan, right? I don't know her name though. I forget her name. It's gonna bother me. There's too many people, but <laughs> and she's like, in the extended cut, we see she makes him soup. And he spits it out when she's not Eowyn, looking. I think. Eowyn. Okay. Sure. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, talking Eowyn. about, though? Oh, yeah. He I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and he's like, this is not good. But yeah. he keeps on, like, she keeps on, like, you know, trying to slide, slide herself in. Be like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're, I totally like you. But then he's just like, yeah, it was someone else. Yeah, there's our, there's our win for me. Um, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, she's, she's going to go, you know, she's going on this trip. She's never coming back, basically. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, no. We're gonna be yeah. together. Yeah, <laughs> it's and just it's so funny. Theoden's the king's name, yeah. and it's uh, Eowyn's his daughter. And I love her character's arc in three, Return of the King. 
Eowyn's. Okay. Um, I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Um, but I yeah, can't I, say anyone's names because he dies. He dies, and so yeah. does she, he dies, and so does she. No, she doesn't. No, she doesn't die. She's not dead. But he does. Um, it's in the battle with when she says, "I am no, I am no man, I am no, I am no man," and it's with the elephants. That's an awesome sequence too. Yes, great, great for Legolas too. I'd say he's up there for me, but still not my favorite. I don't know. And that was I always talk about this as a very cool feminist moment. that doesn't feel like it was just brought upon us. It felt very natural, and they built her up. And um, th- all throughout, especially in two, if you know she wants to fight, and they keep on telling her no, mm-hmm. you have to stay with the women and children. And she can hold her own, and she's fighting with uh, Mary and Pippin. Yeah, um, yeah. and they hold one her of own them, too. and they're like on the horse with her too. Yeah, in front. Yeah, it's very cool. It's a great it. sequence. It really is. Yeah. Again, it doesn't feel forced. It's very natural. Yeah, it's very natural. Very, it's earned. Right. It's earned, and they, the movies get that time as much yeah. as you can put past. Like, how is she doing this? With the uh, is it Night Rider? Man, there's so many. Yeah. I think um, I, yeah, it's one of the Night Riders because yeah. it's one of the Nazgul yep. that return. Yeah. And she stabs the Night Rider and I think cuts yeah, cuts off tail and face, I think, eventually. It's a great sequence. Yeah. And as Legion say, like, how is she doing that? Like it's totally earned, like you're saying, and it right. doesn't feel like it's it's tacky at all. Yeah, no, great. it's not tacky at all. It's it's a great moment and the music punches really well with it. That's in the third one. That's in Return of the King. Yes. Yeah. But that whole that whole fight sequence is I mean it's it's a long one but it's so earned, it's so so satisfying. My biggest complaint with three is what my dad always says, and I do agree, is the the ghost army. Yeah, it's a little. I mean, it's very convenient, but I can forgive it because their impact isn't enormous, in the sense that they won the battle for the main characters. They kind of do, but its main characters ascended over that little extra edge because there's still that one more challenge for Frodo. I think if you had too much of the heroes A, die, or B, get injured during that fight, it doesn't make Frodo and Sam's final push to destroy the ring. It doesn't that's, make that the focus, that's which true. that's the focus of the story. So I'm fine with this army kind of coming out of nowhere. Even though they set it up fairly well, it does kind of just show up. And they it's like, like, oh, we're here to help because we want to. It it's felt like, like a bad Marvel credit scene of like, they mentioned in the second one of like, I think they talked about something in the shadows Something they like talked that. about it um, when they were on. I, I, I might be in the beginning of the third one. I forget it's, when it is. It's also, it's, there's definitely talks about in the extended for sure. In the extended for the second one, it's a whole sequence when they end up walking through, or they they don't do that till the third movie. But they talk about it. And they say down this cavern is where they are, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, for the the dead army, and they don't really bring it up again. But they they allude to it as it's, it's being important. So I can forgive right. it for that. Um, but yeah, I can see how it's a little frustrating. So what would you like to play from Two Towers? From Two Towers, um, I have a few. Are you looking at the extended too? I am looking at the extended. Cool. I would like to play... What track number? Uh, track eight. Okay. No, sorry. The Wolves of, Isen- the Wolves of Isengard do not know because there's different discs for me. So it goes disc one oh, up I to f- I see it. 16. It's 24. See it? yeah. yeah, 24. Okay. Yeah, let's hear it.
Okay, so that was almost like a suite of selections from the two towers. Yeah, it was a little encore. <laughs> uh, we had Wolves of Isengard to start. You're obsessed with encore because you're still obsessed with encore. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Uh, what was the second piece in that? You said one? that very, pretty shameful. I think. Yeah, I don't it know. It was the something with the ants. It was the March the ants. Yeah, right. The last March of the, the last, ants. Yeah, the March the ants. What was yeah. the middle piece? Do you remember? That was the second one. I oh, the second one. What yeah. was the last one? The last one was. Oh, that was um. They. Theoden rides forth. I can't yes. say his name right. No, you're right. It's very um, hard to say, but yes. Some three standout tracks, I think. Um, I love Bulls of Isengard just because of how it builds during a, I guess, more routine fight sequence with the wolves, which the one bit of CGI that stands out a little too much, but it's a good sequence because it kind of sets up Aragorn's quote-unquote death, um, even though it's not. Um, and then the other two, I really love the March of the Ends. That is a very pivotal moment towards the end. Um, I'm sure you can talk about that a little more. Yeah, but... Going back to your first piece, that seems really good because they don't use his death. They don't exaggerate too long. Mm-hmm. Like, you think he's dead for just the right amount of time, and then you put him back in the story. So it's like, okay. Right, so you know, a little they, bit of extra. If they, if, they, uh, punch. if they extended that too long, it would have been very boring, too. Yeah. You know, the second one is when the trees decide they're going to stand up and they're going to march towards Isengard. Isengard. Thank yeah. you. And. It's this really great moment of just pretty much just standing up against the bad guys, the best way to put it yeah. in simple terms. But they're they basically they're just throwing like the most random things like trees and rocks and just different things at them, and they're killing all the orcs and all the b- structure and buildings. And they release the the water the gates, yeah, all the water from like a um, a dam, I guess the best way to put it, mm-hmm. and just yeah, that's something that's a little unique because they built Isengard in the valley. Uh-huh. I don't know why. <laughs> Doesn't really make much sense. I'm sure the book's going to why, but yeah, I love that sequence though. It, it like we were talking about, it earns the fact that the setup is so slow. Yep. It it takes advantage of the fact that it's set up well, um, and makes sure if you realize that okay, like the the long time it took to get to this point, for the sake of the, the trees and and uh, Mary and Pippin for that storyline, it works. And then the it cuts to Mary and Pippin finding food and mm-hmm. eating lots of food. Being yeah. happy that they got their third and fourth breakfast. Yes. <laughs> what about second breakfast? I don't think he knows about those. <laughs> um, okay, and then the last one was Theoden's uh, ride with Theoden. Yep, so that's right? Battle of Helm's Deep. Right. When they go out and Gandalf joins them, Gandalf the White. Mm-hmm. And it's this big turning point in the war, and it ends up them winning <laughs> somehow, yeah. somehow. Somehow. Yeah, the battle that was discussed throughout the entire film as being unwinnable, they uh, they managed to do it. And yet, the the fact that this battle happens, and it doesn't take away from Return of the King, is insane. Yeah, when I think of two towers, I think of Battle of Helm's Deep. Yeah, that's that's the standout for mm-hmm. sure. But the third one, I I really love the ending, and it's a very rare moment in films where the ending is almost an hour long yet the ending is pushing 40 minutes plus mm-hmm. and the only other time a movie has done that is do you know it's recent huh big no. conclusion Endgame yeah how long was Endgame's finale after so the first after, time I watched it the theaters the I was just like oh like I, I got on on digital to watch it at home I was like, I want to watch from when Tony Stark dies to the ending. Oh, yeah, it's like 15 minutes. It's fine. It's like 40 plus minutes. I'm like, there's no way. It I forget is. that there's that much. 
there's yeah. that much because they conclude everything. Yeah. And it's the same thing. This is the only other movie in life where you feel that closure that they do it so well. Yeah. Of closing the entire world. And a lot of people complain about how many endings this movie has because it has a few. No, it, it needs um, every but single one. it needs one. every nope. single one of them. Yep. And a lot no of people complaints. who write about especially like no complaints. a lot of online, um, I guess, reviews for Return of the King and just discussions on how important Lord of the Rings is. They say the extended edition goes too long, but I don't think it does at all. Please tell me exactly how many Oscars this won. Oh, I couldn't even tell you. Was it 10? I think it is. Let's let's fact check. It won everything that it could, right? Besides acting? Pretty much. It's impossible. It's like impossible to happen, though. I don't think it ever will happen again. No, it never will. Especially not for fantasy. Certainly not. 11. 11. Record tying 11, including Best Director and Best Picture. Wow. Let's see. Best Picture, Best Original Song. Best director, best visual effects, best original score, best adapted screenplay, best production design, best costume design, mm-hmm. best sound mixing, best film editing, best makeup and hairstyling, and best sound mixing. Wow. Can you imagine sitting at the Oscars and like, this? it's just one movie winning and they keep on going up and down? I'm sure they made yeah. a joke like, oh, just stay up, guys. But it's like, yeah, at this point, like, you just go up there towards the end, especially the last few, they won consistently. Like, that's. I'm surprised. I think they were nominated. I forget who was nominated for acting. I'm assuming someone was. I'm just surprised no one won. I don't know what came out this year. I think it was 2005, right? This was 2003. Oh, three. Uh, okay. So in 2004 Oscars, most likely. I don't know exactly what came out that year, but looking at the categories, it does not surprise me whatsoever that one. Oh, yeah, for, for any, sure. Any of those categories, because yeah. everything's just perfect. Yeah. I was just hoping we get at least an acting nom for some of them in there. Um, I think certainly Sam, Sean Astin for Samwise Gamgee. Um, and he has a he has a huge career now, you know, with Stranger. He has he's been in Stranger Things. He's been in a lot of stuff too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, he he's wrote he rose to fame with Coonies. He kind of became a household name with that. And he was in that Spielberg era, and then went to Rudy. Rudy he became a household name uh, on his own, and he's done a lot, like you said, since then. But he's he kind of disappeared a bit from uh, the public eye after Return of the King, um, and uh, yet. He came back with Stranger Things and, and it kind of revitalized his career. And I think he's in another show now. I honestly forget. Um, it's something popular, one, I think. Something, I'm pretty sure. But I, nonetheless, I'm glad to see him back. I think it's um, he does such a good job in this trilogy that for a secondary character, I don't think there's any comparison anywhere else. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's very just, it's hard uh, to, rare to get just as good as a main actor as supporting too. Yeah, and have times where even though the supporting actor is doing such a good job with this character, it doesn't overshadow Frodo. Right. Like the editing just does such a fantastic job at making Frodo the center, but giving so much support to him, but yet never overshadowing. It's such a perfect balance. I don't. There's no, never going to be any fantasy story, really any story in general that can be three parts that ever tops this in terms of that. Yeah. I agree. All right, do you want to listen to some tracks? Yeah. Um... What should we do? Oh, I have so many. This is one that I know for sure, like specific track titles. And this, the problem is this album is almost four hours it's, long. And yeah. we have roughly 20 minutes left of showtime. So. Three hours, 45 minutes. <laughs> All right. I have a shorter one. Okay. It's uh, She Loved the Great. Okay. Might not, might not necessarily need to play the whole thing. Um, and I would say the Battle of Pelennor Fields if we have time, but I know you want some as well. Okay, yeah. Let's, uh, let's play it. Okay.
right, so to end the show today, we're going to listen to Fellowship Reunited Live with our reactions and just end the show this way. It's a nice, calming piece. I like to listen to this before bed sometimes, before mm-hmm. I go to sleep. You know, it's a nice mindset to have, very calming. So very exciting um, part of the movie, and there's no better reward than this scene. Yeah, and like we talked about, it really brings everything that happened to such a good close and you don't really need a lot more after this um, because Mm -hmm. it takes it's all its time that it can to give every character that's important their own ending so this is 12 minutes long the track after this is a journey to gray heavens and that's seven minutes like think about these endings yeah and they're all so important right and even though i know some of them were cut for the extended or for the theatrical version right um which is crazy to me because as much as I can understand why the studio would want something a little bit shorter, but to get that resolution, you need all of these moments to happen. It's just necessary. And I love how this track just is that breath that's long enough, given how long these movies are, to let you finally calm down before the finale rolls. It's so well done. There's not a, a better outcome for the characters in this scene that what happens here and that's why it's so satisfying it's yeah. also bad because you get high expectations in real life <laughs> yeah yeah and it kind of ruins every other fantasy project um and i think there's a reason why peter jackson never quite got to the same level again because it's just unobtainable given the fact that this story is so unique in what it is and um it really stands on its own entirely um, and nothing else can really compare even the hobbit can't get to that same level uh, by just the nature of the story. It's a prequel. It doesn't have that timeless position as this is a story beginning to end and you can feel completely satisfied by this hero's journey that, in a way, based on the formula, can be predictable in certain contexts, but mm-hmm. regardless, it's still so satisfying to see it come to fruition in such a coherent way. It's, it's so, awesome. It's so good. And Howard Shore is just the perfect exclamation point. Easily. Like, you can say there's no way Arwen decides to come back or, you know, not go into her heaven, mm-hmm. in quotations, as the, uh, the elven people believe in, right. but if it's so satisfying, there's yeah. no other word to use. And the visuals, too, especially, um, this it's not scene, during this piece. I will watch mm. once a week, if not once a month. Like, really? this is something I watch all the time. I look up this exact scene. We shall we see him? He gets the crown. Yeah. He's king now. <sighs> yeah. It's such a good finale. I like a little bit more. It's not during this track. It's during uh, the Journey to the Great Havens. And um, it's Frodo's goodbye. Um, it, it hits it's so, so hard. hard. It's so it hits, good. It hits so hard. And it, you know from the start, it was him and Sam, and it was Merry and Pippin, and it was just those four with Gandalf. And they're all back in this tiny location that's new. Uh, right at the, the edge of the world, pretty much, before you get to the Grey Havens. And it's just the visuals with that simple theme that we got in A Far Green Country. That was one of the first times it's ever hinted at. And it's when Gandalf originally talks about it, and he discusses this perfect place that you right. can go. Um, and, you know, of course, Sam and Mary and Pepper are like, do you have to leave? And, and Frodo's like, yeah, you know, I, I've gone this far. I don't need to do anything else. I've seen some people complain, be like, 
this ending makes no sense for Frodo. I was like, no. No, it you makes did, perfect you, sense. You obviously didn't watch the other yeah. two movies. And that's, that's what was so hard about these movies to get right, is you have to get that subtle point that Frodo is tired. Yeah. And even though he looks young and he looks like a kid and he is young, technically, he's gone through so much. And in all three films, he has this desire, however small in the beginning, to get done with it and to move on. Mm -hmm. He was already tired of the Shire in the very beginning, which is what kind of sent him over to go on this journey in the first place. And the fact that he's able to go through all this craziness and reach this point where he can make that decision, he knows is best for him. And the fact that the movies are able to set that up where you can see it ever so subtly, that's just, it's epic on Peter Jackson's part, but it's just epic on their screenwriting too. Yeah, he, throughout, he always talks about getting rid of the, the burden of carrying the ring, right? right. He keeps on talking about like, when do I get to stop carrying it? Right. He always talks about yeah, that. He's waiting like to be done. Kind of like me when it's ever doing homework. I just want to be done with this. And it's not necessarily a bad... Some people want to throw a ring into a fire pit. You want to watch NASCAR. Like it's the same thing. Like <laughs> Yeah, it's similar. It was a desire to get to that point where there's just pure elation, pure happiness. Oh, this part's so good. You bow to no one. So good. In about like 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. What does he say exactly? My friends, my friends, you bowed to no one. Yeah. And it's so, it's so Aragorn, um, because he also the fact that, the fact these movies are able to give all these characters so much incredible arcs. You know, like any other story today would focus on one, and I mean, the side they, characters would get a little they, bit. They had twelve hours to do it. They had twelve hours to do it, but I mean, you know, think about like, I'm going to compare it to. It's a bad comparison, but the Star Wars sequel trilogy, right? Nine movies. The potential was there, or nine films, but even just the sequels. You know, it's three. It's not quite twelve hours, but. Um, it's probably half that but still it's the potential for that fantasy epic scale that you could have had again to match this it's just they couldn't do it because the characters were not so layered like they are in Lord of the Rings you know to have Aragorn go through this whole journey and it not feel tacked on that's you know that's never gonna happen here we again. go That's all we got for today. I think we're going to let this play out, and that's how we're going to today's episode. Hopefully, it's not the last episode of the semester. Um, we're going to do a comparison between the prequels and the Lord of the Rings. Hopefully, a big debate next week if we can. But if not, we want to thank everyone for listening in and uh, listening to all of our conversations and our long shows. And yeah, so uh, thank you for dedicating your time to our uh, our, our our debates and our, our nerd discussions, debates, our um, nerd debates at two p.m. on. 2 p.m. Yeah, 2, 2 p.m. on Tuesdays. Tuesdays. Yeah, it's been a blast doing this. Um, definitely looking forward to next year if we can't end it next week. I'm hoping we can. Um, maybe potentially do some stuff for the summer. We'll have to see. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned. And uh, hopefully we'll have a, uh, a social media page soon and we'll keep everyone updated. But uh, if not, it's been a great year. And thank you to everyone. Yeah, until next time. <laughs>